Hello and welcome to Vinish War, the Cities ABC Open Business Council series. And uh, we are here to a new and the new amazing podcast series and interviews. Uh, in this time to speak about film, to speak about writing and to speak about all the motion uh, ecosystem of creativity and as well uh, um, what is happening in the film industry. But as well, uh, welcome to our series, uh, Rohit Karn Batra. Uh, which is a, a, has a fantastic background, but as well out of the box, which I like a lot. And I think that's the purpose of these calls and these interviews as well, is precisely to profile personalities that are uh, amplifying and opening the wide screen of both the, um, the scope of things, but as well how to touch different in areas and industries. So Rohit um, is a film producer, storyteller, writer and director. Originally from India, Rohit Karn uh, Batra wrote, produced and directed the nine, 2019 crime film Line of Descent, starring Ronit Roy, Brendan Fraser, and releasing worldwide in theaters and video on demand in the United States and um, on Zihi in India. Rohit, um, of course, his uh, background is from India. He came from a non-film background, um, his parents are both teachers and they went through traditional routes of education and then went to study computer science at the university and he got his MBA and he started his career in corporate America, which is uh, quite amazing. And soon enough, of course, he came back to one of the things that is one of the biggest passions in India, that is the film industry. But in this case, in Hollywood as well, bridging the two worlds. Um, and I think uh, some of his work initially was doing music videos and then he went to other places of uh, the film and production and line production. And as well as been looking at the different uh, multiple parts of the film industry. And as well, understanding from the financial to production and as well all the different areas that we have. And this as well, uh, of course, producing a couple of new things that we're going to be talking in this interview. So welcome to our series, uh, Rohit. It's a pleasure to have you here. A pleasure to be here. I can't wait to have a great chat with you. Thank you. So I have a huge passion for film myself. Uh, I think my first dream was actually to be a filmmaker and an wow. actor, probably when I was three or four years old. So wow. I think you are, uh, I, I'm actually going to have a bigger push in terms of uh, the film industry and I'm uh, actually sure. interested to do actually, I'm more and more into this. So I want to start with precisely your background. So having, having coming from, I have a background that is not directly film industry, and actually studied computer science and did yeah. an MBA, which is quite difficult, but that brings you a huge um, background. Advantage, yeah. How do you end up, end up in film and as well a bit of that background uh, career? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a great question. I mean, you know, looking back, uh, it was just a, s a series of, you know, ignorant steps <laughs> that I made. I, I didn't know what I was doing and it just kind of dominoed into, uh, into a career, but uh, you're absolutely right. I, I uh, my, you know, both of my parents are teachers. Uh, I was born in Africa, actually, in Zambia, and I came to the states when I was seven years old. Uh, so uh, I've I've been here, and you know, it was it was a normal upbringing. You know, I didn't I didn't really know any filmmakers. I didn't I didn't have a sense of uh, my bearings. You know, my only exposure to people who are I mean, you know, to things outside of film related to films was the Oscars you know I used to watch that and uh and I was like oh that's that's how a director looks like that's how you know cinematographer looks like you know that was my only thing so every year I was looking forward to 
to to watch them. But I was always fascinated by more of the construction of a movie. You know, like, it was just something I gravitated towards. Uh, what I mean by construction, uh, the scene setups. Why are the actors looking at each other a little bit longer in this scene? You know, why is there overhead shot on this car? You know, like why is there why is the action sequence done in five shots, not four shots? You know, so it 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 really it was just more of like why, or like who's who's making these decisions? How how does it you know? But then you know it did it did elicit a lot of uh, emotional reactions too. You know, like you you fall in love with the story, you think about the characters. So I'm like, wow, like that's really cool. Like how's that? How's that? Why? You know, it was really more of that kind of curiosity. Uh, uh, but uh, but again, I didn't know I didn't know anything about films, but I just had this uh, uh, intense desire. So it became an obsession, basically, over the over my youth. Uh, and I used to watch movies as much as I could. Uh, my mom also is a big movie buff, so we used to always watch movies. <laughs> that was like my upbringing. Uh, but my mom always asked questions about films, you know, um, and talked about things like acting and directing and stuff. So she had like an instinct towards it, and I think that kind of fueled my 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 uh, like my likeness for it, I would say. Uh, yeah, but you're right. I have a quote unquote normal background. I you know graduated uh, college with a computer science degree. Uh, I went to New York to get my MBA, uh, and I went to New York for the reason uh, so I could be around people in film. So it was like I could do that, and I could also you know pursue a, a grad degree. But again, I didn't. I still didn't know I was going to be a filmmaker. I just thought it was a passion of mine. But uh, I describe it as like weights, you know? So, you, you know, you, you know uh, the weight of the desire was stronger and stronger and that eventually tipped the scales. So I did get a job at a big corporate firm and I was, I was just unhappy there because I felt I was stealing somebody's job. Like somebody's working really hard for this job and I had no care for it, you know? I did it procedurally, but I didn't really have a sense of... Uh, like a linear progression in it. I, I didn't see myself becoming a partner at the firm. I didn't see myself, uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of fighting the politics. You know, I just didn't really have that. But I did have that for film. I wanted to kind of get, go through the ringer and kind of learn about things and and all that. So, I mean, you know, like I said, the, the scales tipped and I said, you know, I'm 25 uh, now or never. I don't want to be... 40, 45, 50, and jump into something. It's that's not really a professional approach. So I literally left the job, bought a car, and drove across the U.S. five days of driving <laughs> because I was on the East Coast. And uh, I, I stopped. Next thing I knew, I was in Los Angeles. You know, and uh, had a lot of time to think. <laughs> Four days, five days of driving by myself, and I, I, you know, I thought a lot about. Okay, but I, I never had any any thoughts of I'm not going to succeed or what am I doing? It was more, all, it was all positive. Like, Oh, I can't wait. I, you know, I'm going to do this. You know, it was more of that, again, ignorant steps. Like you don't think about the negative, even though that's something you have to consider in any endeavor. Uh, to me, it was like, Oh, I'm going to go do this. I'll figure it out. Other people are doing it, you know? So that was kind of like my, my thinking, but then reality hits really hard because no one really cares about you <laughs> when you come to LA. There's a lot of people here who just come and, and pursue it. And there's a lot of broken dreams and a lot of broken people uh, because they've been battered by the industry's rejections and not, uh, even if they've been successful, maybe not their definition of success. I could care less about that stuff, to be honest. So I just kind of worked like a workhorse quietly, just built my network and um, 
and figured it out, got mentors, you know, like the, just in any business, really, any entrepreneurship. So even though I'm in the film business, I consider myself more of an entrepreneur in many ways because there's not a, there's a lot of overlap in uh, how it, the ups and downs go and, and how, how, how entrepreneurship works in scale. You know, nothing happens overnight, but in scale, the, uh, the, uh, the, the success happens or it doesn't happen. And uh, yeah, and here I am. So that's, that's pretty much the background and the, the progression of everything. Really impressive. And I love that passion to, um, first of all, to make things happen and really persistence as well, but as well, the sense of a lot of people, especially uh, when it comes, like you mentioned, all of you, this is as well a place of dreams, but a place of broken dreams. Um, yes, it is. And I, I love the way you put it as well. So, so can you tell us a bit about from that MBA, so from a computer science to go to, to, to film, because of course that brings you as well, because at the moment the film industry is in a very, probably one of the biggest crises in history, uh, because of course not, not, it's not just the film industry, but the film industry probably is an epicenter of both technology. That's right. That's um, right. Both uh, industry and a lot of different things. So I think that's probably an opportunity in your background and education for that as well. But I would like to hear from how they did that transition, especially like you mentioned, you touch uh, mentors, you touch as well the persistence and the passion for what you wanted to do. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of people forget that because in the end of the day, it's an industry and it's a very um, demanding industry because it's an it industry is. that is periodic. Uh, yeah, I just want to listen that that kind of nuances. How did you start getting this until you produce your first film and start getting sure. really serious on this? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, looking back, uh, you know, in a way, when you don't know anything, you kind of invent it as you go along. So I never really had, a, a, for example, like the first gig that I got, I was just to make just to make some money. I was doing some like uh, uh, freelance you know, articles for some like you know fourth fourth tier magazines. You know, no one's heard of. Uh, but it, I looked at it as an opportunity because I was in the entertainment uh, writer department. So I was meeting people in entertainment because I was able to get access to them immediately. So uh, you know, a part of uh, film industry is kind of finding opportunities. So my very instinctively. Uh, and I have good entertainment instincts. Uh, I, I, I figured out, okay, if I meet people in the entertainment space, uh, I can maybe find a job or maybe I, I can pitch something or whatever. And it worked. I had an interview with this musician in, uh, in, uh, Washington, uh, no, in San Francisco. And I remember I drove up there to see him and uh, he, was, uh, he was trying to figure out how, um, how to do a music video because the last one that he did wasn't able to go at his expectations and he was under a deadline with his label. So I just said, I'll do it. <laughs> I just raised my hand in the interview and uh, he was so desperate that he had to get it done next weekend. I figured it out. I was, I just, I just said, I, you know, I'll make it happen. I live in LA, you know, things like that. So I pitched myself. And again, what I learned, and even in that small experience was that it was an opportunity of demand and timing. And, and I think though that's the genetics of, of the business, you know, is you have to you have to understand and look for those two things. So I'd always I'd always found a way to align myself with timing, and figure out the demand of what's in front of me, uh, or if not, drop a seat. Maybe the demand is in a year, you know, but they'll remember me. So you know, so that's that's I so once I did that video, then someone else called me, saw it, liked it, and then I was able, I was introduced to three other people, 
you know? And I think a lot of it is being likable because if you're likable, uh, they, they'll be like, yeah, he was a cool guy. I, I like working with him or whatever the case may be. He didn't rip me off, you know, things like that. So, so I think those, that's kind of how it started where it was like one dot and the other dot and just kind of all, all jumbled up into a network. And I, now you know people and now people just call you because they're like, oh, John said you were great. I have something in a couple of weeks. So are you interested? And that, that takes a lot of time. And I'm, I'm describing what happened over five, six, seven, ten 10 years, you know, uh, but, but that's how it happened. And, uh, but I was always, to lead to your point uh, about my film, uh, those were smaller projects. I was more interested in feature filmmaking. That's really where my uh, MO is. So feature films is a completely different beast because now you need millions of dollars, you know, it's not doing a small project anymore. So then I said, okay, what do I do now? And now it's almost like starting over in a new industry. So I figured out how to raise money. I figured out the, the dynamics of fundraising, you know, and it was literally, you know, it was, it was, it was death by a thousand blows you know? <laughs> because, you know, you, you get thousands of rejections. Uh, but I did everything from cold calling to networking to you name it. I figured out a way to penetrate uh, uh, networks and personalities of people whom oh, I thought might be interested and completely trial and error. I was able to raise significant amount of money and uh and then i made the film so so uh, everything is done literally by shoveling the ground and you know like step you know day by day uh, it's not a very romantic thing you hear where oh i was ah, i just got the money for a film. like it doesn't work like that for me anyway other people may have had that success line i i literally had to earn every dollar every project every phone call every email everything was done very procedurally uh, over many, many years. So persistence is the right word. No, I, I love that. And I think it's, well, it's, I think one of my mantras is definitely about persistence. So I, I would go right now. So from that persistence, like you said, from the first film, you did the million dollars film. So can you tell us about that? Because I think especially for people listening to us that have uh, some kind of dream about filming, it's interesting to demystify, but as well, you achieved actually quite impressive, especially line of descent with the kind of start that you got. And as well, what you still, still very young, so I'm sure you're going to have a lot of things ahead of you. But just um, how did you start, especially going from small film to big film? And uh, some of the, because you, you've been as well having both roles as a producer and, and director, um, and as well yes, as a writer. Yes. So it's three, three yes. things that normally you have big authors, um, that do that. And I think I'm sure that's the way you want to go, but just a bit of that background. Uh, sure. You know, so the first thing that I did, the first sort of like seed money I got, I was like, okay, what do I do now? Because this is not going to make the movie. So again, I have good instincts. Uh, and that's who knows the mystery of that. But the first thing I did was get a team of people that were better than me. So I got a good entertainment lawyer. That was the first person I hired because I knew that person who worked on hundreds, thousands, maybe of projects. So they were able to help me understand, okay, you know, how to protect the IP, how to protect the, uh, you know, uh, the investors uh, trust, how to do, so, you know, he helped me structure that and he go, here's what you need to go ahead. So he became like a counselor, you know, more than a lawyer. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I learned the value of, of that. And then from there, uh, I was able to, I pitched the project around town and I was able to get a big management company because I love the script to sign me up. 
So I got signed up by the management company and that allowed me to go into more of like the higher tier uh, part of the business because now I had access to other people. And it was purely because I had a good script, you know, and they knew I was serious because I was, I was hiring the right people. You know, I wasn't just like sitting around saying, I'm going to make a movie. I had a, I had a, you know, a seasoned lawyer. Then I hired a, you know, world-class producer and I was paying them, you know, because I had some, had some money that I had learned from my skip, my fundraising abilities. So, uh, so people start taking you seriously and then they start to return your phone calls and are interested in what you're doing. Uh, and you know, it just, it literally was like, it was like, I was told what to do and I just did it. So they were like, you need an actor. So I got an actor. You need this amount to go for this. I did this that way. And I took a lot of risks along the way. Like I did the movie in different uh, buckets. Most people do the movie in one go. I did it in different stages because I was only able to raise a certain amount and I had an actress for a certain amount of time. So I just called my producer and I said, what do I do? What's the best scenario that I can pull off with where I am? And he advised me and I just listened blindly to him because he had experience, you know? Uh, and uh, his name is uh, Guy Luthan. And, you know, Guy and I are very close now because he saw, he saw that I actually, unlike other directors, I was actually um, doing my job properly. I was listening to people. I was like a leader, you know, you filter out the information that's relevant. Uh, and, but you gather, you need to gather all the information. And that's, that's exactly what our director does. Um, and the producer aspect is just more of a ceremonial thing, right? Because I was able to put the project together. Um, and, uh, I certainly was a legitimate producer, but I consider myself more of a director first, a writer second, and a producer third, even though people think of the opposite, because I think I'm a producer first, a writer second, and a director third. Uh, and, and, uh, and I'll, I'll take all the credits. I'm, I'm happy with all three roles and they satisfy all my urges. So, yeah. Uh, that's, uh, and I think it, you have to have the ownership. So I want to touch about precisely ownership. And like you said, take... Sure take the credit because the film industry, you have the producers, you have the directors, directors, you have the screenwriters. And at the moment as well, there's, we have all the, the marketing around the film, which actually, if you look especially at blockbusters, which in the last year, all the blockbusters were postponed or delayed, or actually yeah. right now, most of the streaming platforms are having the biggest chunk of the produ production industry. So how do you see um, that work, especially from your, before we go to the industry, from your ownership of the production. And I'm particularly interested to see as a producer and director, um, do you, are you trying to create a portfolio of your material and your films and creating these in the future? Like you have, uh, I don't know, the collection of Stanley Kubrick, the collections of all these authors, because this is, I think, if, uh, at the moment we have like kind of three different variations. Well, I can talk about three or four, but uh, I would say that you have like the authors, like the big yeah. names, like, uh, from the coverage is to to um, I don't know all the the Spielbergs and so forth or the yeah. George George uh, uh, George Lucas and things like that. Although George Lucas created the merchandising part, which comes probably in the second one, that is like the the all the series and the kind of uh, merchandising kind of a uh, trending company like the James Bonds and Star Wars right. and Star Treks and stuff like that. And then you have of course all the small players and one of these that are like uh, like a second division but in the end of the day at the moment it's massive because you have all these streaming companies that yeah. there's a lot of content being produced so how do you yeah. see that your work on this context but as well 
you've been making some interesting bridges between Hollywood and Bollywood, although you are mostly educated in the US. So the Bollywood is probably uh, not so close to you besides probably in terms of family. Yeah. I just like to hear that part uh, in that level. Uh, sure, you know, I, I, I don't really understand or know Bollywood to be very frank with you. Uh, I used to, but uh, I, I look at it more as a foreign film. That's probably more accurate. Uh, you know, I think when you when you when you when you put a you know a label on it, it your expectations come with it, uh, and uh, I've always felt a little bit uncomfortable with that because it, you know, my movie doesn't really there's nothing about it that is in that culture, as far as film culture, how to shoot how they shoot movies, how they you know whatever, the way I shot it, the way I directed it. I mean, it was completely out of my mind. You know, not out of like an expectation of fulfilling that label. Uh, a, a corny example is like, I don't have any songs and dances in my movies, you know, things like that. Uh, but also like the language we use, the, especially the way I shot the movie. It's a very specific way of shooting a film, uh, which I can, if you want to, you know, get into the nerdy aspect of directing, I can do that. Uh, but, but, um, but yeah, to your point earlier, there's all kinds of movies, right? So the movies you mentioned, the bonds of the world, they're studio films or franchise or institutional projects. Um, you know, I'm in the independent film space, which means that I'm not beholden to, uh, you know, a studio executive's uh, mandate and things like that. Uh, I mean, I would, I would love to do a studio film for sure, but in this particular part of my career, I'm in the independent film space, which means that I am the studio, <laughs> you know, like I, I am, I am my whole, my whole system. And that's why the team is important because they're your board members, you know, just like in any company. So a film is a company, basically. You know, you have you have different roles and different ex people execute things in their own um, in their own way to realize the vision of the project. And my job, I'm a my job is to present that vision and to sell that vision. Really, you know, uh, sometimes successfully, sometimes not successfully. But that's besides the point. <laughs> yeah. No, and I think so. I want to touch about the independent filmmaking. So when you look at independent filmmaking, of course, you have um, it's a massive industry because you have the independent right now from, first of all, is a trend in itself. There's a lot of millions of people around the world that are looking for independent filming, me included. And of course, the independent, you have a lot of verticals, a lot of sectors, a lot of things. So yeah. how do you position your work within the independent? Uh, I mean, you know, it comes down to story and execution, right? So uh, we, when we watch a movie, there's a social contract that the director has with every person watching it. And the contract is, uh, I'm going to give you a unique, cool, awesome story. And I'm going to execute it in a way that will entertain you or make you think or something. That's what you're paying for at the end of the day. So, uh, so to me, if, if that's, that's when, I sh when I set everything up, it's to satisfy that contract I have with people I don't know, you know, because they're paying for it or they're expecting to watch it. Even if they, you know, they stream it for free, it doesn't matter. They're still expecting to fill their time by getting those two things done. So uh, anything outside of that is a violation of that agreement. And, and of course, when you have ownership, you want to you wanna fulfill your obligations. So, uh, so to me, independent film space uh, is really to, you know, use whatever leverage and power I, 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 I'm lucky to have and to satisfy that so to stand out great story great execution so i study execution and then i uh i perfect the science of storytelling though that's the only two goals that i have when i direct 
Amazing. So, and I think it's, uh, in the end, it's all about storytelling. <laughs> like, uh, I think yeah, that, was, that's, that's uh, the name of the game. Yeah. Yeah. I think like Hitchcock, I think, put it very well. There's a quote from him is, the first and the second third is about the story and stuff like that. But well, I, yeah. I want to go back to, so let's go right now to your work and some of your films. Um, so you have Line of Descent, that probably was <clears> the biggest one. Um, yeah. But tell us what you've been doing and a bit some of your work for people that uh, are not so familiar with your work. I'm sure they're all the research, but as well, what you, uh, from past to present and future, let's put it that way. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So a lot of stuff I've done is more like insulated, right? So you may not have, act like I've done a lot of work in commercials, uh, maybe not as a director, but we've done different aspects of like, a, we work with like, like in, on the production level, you know, so uh, I've done a lot of international work as well uh, for either a corporate thing, uh, which was a, a big part of my business for a while. Uh, corporate stuff is like, you know, you have a company that uh, needs to interview their CEO uh, but but they also want to present present to like their their investors. You know, I work with private equity groups that, you know, like big CEO, billionaire CEOs want to they want to come in and project themselves a certain way. So you work on an agency level basically, and, and you say, okay, here's the best way to shoot it, present it, edit it. So there's 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 a bit of that that goes in there. Um, I I I've done a lot lot of shorts. Uh, a couple of my shorts have won awards at festivals. So the first short that I ever did. Actually, the real short I ever did won like the best short film critics short film at a at a top twenty five festival in the states. Uh, you know, so a lot of music videos, smaller artists, and uh, the film takes up a lot of oxygen. So that's that. But then you know we we had different aspects of our business also where we do um, even in AI space. Like you know, I'm working with a a company called AppTech. And, uh, you know, they're very important in, in, in media tech space because, which is something I'm very excited about because they do what's called localization. So they localize content. Uh, so if I shot my movie, let's say in English, I want to localize it by language, with subtitling or closed captioning. I can do that. Um, excuse me. Uh, I, I, can, I can do that by working with um, a company like AppTech that has AI that can take the audio and make it Italian or make it Spanish or make it Portuguese and things like that. And uh, so you work with companies like that in the, in still in media, still in entertainment, but they're able to um, make it more accessible to people. And that it makes it more accessible storytelling wise, makes it more accessible in so many other ways, you know? So, uh, so what I would, uh, what I would say is that it's a holistic thing and a company like AppTech, I mean, they also are really into in the media space in other ways. So it's kind of symbiotic. I had a release in the UAE, in the Middle East, at large, and they sponsored the release because they were they were interested in, in expanding expanding that. So, even though it wasn't me making a product, I was working with the extended media ocean and and making it accessible and making it out there. And a company like Aptec is, uh, you know, is instrumental in that localization process. Um, and uh, regarding the other projects, I mean, I've, I've, I've been doing this for about uh, 16 years now. And, uh, you know, the way I describe it is a lot of script consulting. So a lot of people come to me for that, a lot of post-production work, um, and then a, you know, a bunch of different projects that, you know, different clients have from the big stuff to the small stuff. No, really impressive. And, and I think uh, I want to touch about film and AI. 
um, because it's one area, of course, as you know, I'm being involved, very involved in AI and actually part of this series is about AI as well and the challenges. And I actually did a bit of a study about uh, AI in film. But before I go there, so can you tell us about probably your biggest film, The Line of Descent? Uh, Descent. Uh, I think I would like to hear about it. Sure. And as well, what is coming after this? But I think it's quite interesting to look at this, yeah. Yeah, the, the AI part of it's definitely interesting. It's, it's a growing sector uh, and it's a hot sector. Um, and uh, I mean, because I'm a tech, I have a computer science degree, maybe like that, that, that never really switched off <laughs> in the background a little bit. Uh, so Lionel Descent is a, it's like it's a foreign film shot in India uh, and, uh, but 50% of it's in English that, you know, people don't sometimes understand when they watch the trailer or whatnot, it's half English. You know, and because I'm an American actor, I have a British actor, I'm a French actress, you know, and they speak English, <laughs> you know, in the film. And even the Indian actors, they speak English, like, not majority, but some of the time, I would say. Uh, so uh, it's a gangster film about brothers who are fighting over the estate of their father, who just kind of was burdened with guilt. And it, for him, the way to save the family was to um, uh, yeah, leave everything to... Uh, the most trusted brother, uh, the son. But then the other brothers found that um, unacceptable. So they, they start plotting against each other. And there's an arms dealer uh, that, an American arms dealer who's milking money in India and just kind of kind of enjoying life. And the brothers all interact with them in different ways. And then the arms dealer starts to use the other brothers against each other. Uh, so he can kind of get to his end goal. So it's kind of a chess piece. Uh, it's a gangster film, but I, I, I always hesitate because it's not about the gangster world. It's about the internal dynamics of a family, a dysfunctional family, and how they're using, uh, you know, excuses to uh, get what they want, but also kind of still be in the world of, of family by, by being respectful to each other, you know, kind of playing that front face a little bit and, and how the women behind them control the whole thing. And, and that's, so it gets kind of a, kind of complex. And while all this is happening, there's an undercover operation going on that's following all the moves. So, so that complicates everything because there's, there's, there's a lot of elements of the undercover operation that influences everyone's motivation. So that's what the movie's about. It's, it's a very complex, fun, uh, fun film in another language that uh, I think the audience should check out. So uh, I think this film is particularly interesting because you reverse engineer. You have Hollywood going to Bollywood or India. Yes, yes. And as well, you bring a major celebrity and actually one of the biggest actors, Brendan Fraser. So I'll, I, yeah. I'm particularly interested precisely with this reverse engineering because there's not a lot yes. of actually mix of Bollywood and Bollywood, at least successful, point one. And then point yeah. two as well, you launch it purely during the pandemic. So I want to touch yeah. this to parts of it i think that production of launching a film which is kind of a very tricky for for anyone uh, for a producer especially to launch a film with the uh, major stars uh, at least one major star that can actually do it but how did you do the distribution bearing in mind everything that happened the last one year and a half there's been a kind of a yeah um it's, it's a great question you know so the way it works in, at the level of film that i'm in we have a sales agent the sales agent like sells your movie so we sold the movie, started, started selling the movie right before the pandemic. So the market was doing its own, own, own thing at that time. So, uh, but it released during the pandemic. So that was the contradiction of it. Even though it looked like a pandemic film, it was actually 
the deals were basically done before the pandemic happened. Uh, so it was interesting. I mean, you know, it was an experiment for everyone, right? To see how the pandemic af- affects your release. And it definitely affected it. I, I don't know how it affected it uh, because I don't have anything to compare it to. You know, I didn't have a normal release in, in a non-pandemic space. So I don't know. <laughs> It'll be, maybe the next film will satisfy that. Uh, but yeah, overall, I think, um, you know, I think, like I said earlier, it's about timing. So, you know, you can work as hard as you want, but if your timing is off by two months, uh, then could mean the difference between a movie making money and not making money. You know, it's just as simple as that. So I'll give you an example with Brendan. Uh, Brendan was sort of getting back into his groove when I hired him. Uh, and now he's doing Darren Aronofsky's next film, you know? Uh, and now he's, you know, he's, I mean, it's a great role. It's, it's, it's right down the Oscar, in my opinion, the Oscar line, the way that role is set up. Uh, but it's a timing thing. I, could, I don't think, I don't know if I could get Brendan now. I, I hope he would do it, but he's got other projects going on, other things, you know? So I was able to get him at a good time. And so the reverse engineering, uh, I'm saying this because it's, it's always fascinated me. I always like to put contradictions on screen. You know, there's something very exciting about that because again, execution is a part that falls in the execution bucket and it adds to the story. So those two things are satisfied. That's a, that's a directorial point on the, on, the, on the map for me. So the reverse engineering was again, an experiment, but also something I think provided a lot of value for people because they have never seen it. And I don't think I know any other film that's done it to this level. And we we monitor all the films basically that that, that sort of come out in this ilk. So uh, hopefully answered your question, but that's that's how I would I would say it. With no, no, I, you answered very well, and I actually particularly exciting. So I, I want to touch uh, two areas about what you mentioned before. So the business model of a film during pandemics. I, I think you just touched that in your in your. I think in your case was an opportunity because you got a major star that probably would be less available if it would be probably during the eye part and sometimes it's the opportunity of a young independent film is that you can pick a superstar and uh, that is uh, for instance pulp fiction with uh, with bruce willis and and travolta that actually helped launch the the careers yeah. of both of them um but as well a lot of these things is as well i'm particularly interested and this is a, a channel about business and uh, technology and innovation um how did you deal with part launching the film um all the complexity of covid the distribution and the business as well. And how do you make money during these times? I think it's important for people listening to us because in the end of the day, everyone will have to adapt to this new normal in a lot of ways. They will. It's not, it's not a fluke. It's not a one-off. I think it's, it's going to be a cultural thing for everyone. Uh, so again, what happens is when, you know, to understand how films work, I don't know how other films work, but for us, when we have a distribution, they become the de facto owners of the film, even though we own the film. Uh, they're able to distribute it as they want. They're able to do whatever they want, basically, to certain you know, with certain uh, guardrails to the project. So, uh, with, you know, we sold it to many territories across the world, and we literally give them the film, and then they have an obligation to exploit it for uh, for revenue. So, um, so I think they're probably better skilled to answer it than I am, because our job is to sell the movie, uh, and and their job is to make money on the sale. And uh, I think that what the what COVID's done is it, of course, it opened up other windows. I think that's the that's the heart of and it closed some windows. The theatrical is basically closed, sadly, but other windows have opened, you know, because people need to watch content. 
So I think it's an uh, it's it's an exercise in adaptation. Uh, and uh, regarding making money, like I said, I I, I have many clients that I work with, uh, and uh, I've been doing it for a long time now. So I think that's just like any other business. You know, they there's different demands in media space, uh, and uh, and and uh, and and that's really how it's how it's set up for me. Yeah. Yeah, I think you put it very well. And I think it's a great opportunity as well if you look at it from an out-of-the-box perspective because, of course, this I think every change creates new opportunities. You just need to yeah. deal with that. So I want to touch um, about... You touch AI and film. So I think at the moment there's a lot of things. For instance, AI has been used mostly for data prediction. There's a lot of AIs being used to create screens and to adapt to screens. There's a couple of companies looking at... Uh, trailers to see the technology and see how they engage for it. So I'm using an AI to create small films about topics of education and it's working pretty well, Lumen 6. Um, and there's a lot of other things. So can you tell about this? Because you come from computer science and now you're a filmmaker, director and producer. I'm particularly interested in that. And as well, how do you see eventually using that in your own work and production capacity? Um, so a lot of filmmaking, especially post-production, is very labor intensive. Um, so basically the, the height of AI is to really save money on labor. You know, that's, that's the, that's the thesis of a lot of AI. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, um, specific to, to film, I think in, in, in any aspect. So again, going back to the company Aptek I was working with. So Aptek does like subtitles or closed captioning, you right? So the previous model is somebody sitting down and typing everything. The AI model has, has a, as an engine that understands language and, speech and all that. And it's able to do it almost, uh, almost real time. So, so that's a perfect example of how it helps us because then if I have to, like, for example, if I sell a movie to, uh, or my, my sales agent sells a movie to Russia and the Russians are like, we love it. We just need Russian subtitles, you know, because our, our audience is Russian. So I can hire a company to manually do that, which is quite expensive or you can run it through an AI model and it'll do it in Russian to some level of accuracy. And then you, for the last mile to just edit it and make sure everything is fine. You, you hire a human, a human for that. That's one example of it. Um, but also there's other things happening. Like there's, uh, you know, I mean, AI in a way has been used for a while in film because visual effects are kind of an AI, you know, uh, that, you know, it's able to predict environments. We talked, uh, I think initially about Oprah having a background you know, in an interview, and it looks like she's actually there. That's AI because it's able to predict the environment, and it's able to put a subject in it and figure it out. And in pandemic, you know, you may not have the luxury to sit in front of a human being um, because of uh, health reasons, uh, but it's okay. We have a system. We have a solution for that thanks to technology. So it would be foolish not to exploit that and and, and develop it. Um, there's some other stuff happening. There's um, companies that are in the in the in the able to you know, manipulate speech. Uh, there's a, a lot of, a lot of tools like in, you know, in the weeds, like, you know, in sound or in, in cinematography, there's a lot of stuff you can do with AI for color correction, for uh, sound editing and so on and so forth. So it's able to use, uh, you know, a, a built-in engine to kind of get to a predictive result that helps to create the creative result that you're looking for. So, uh, so yeah, there's, there's a big opportunity and it would be foolish again, not to uh, consider it as a part of the business at this point. Yeah. 
Fantastic. Uh, so, so I think, well, we touched all of these different things and we're passing almost one hour. So I want to be conscious of your time. I, I think I have a lot of questions here and I think a lot of ideas, but probably we'll take it for a second. Definitely I want to do a second one just about the, the creativity around film. So about your, this stage of your career, and I think it's quite interesting because you are very well positioned to, to go in a lot of different directions because you have both capacity on business um, production creativity and as well technology, which is quite a fantastic alliance. Uh, I'll, what's your focus right now and what's the things that you have in the pipeline? If you want to share, of course. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm excited to share. Yeah, I just finished uh, my next script. Uh, it's called Accident on Relay Street. Uh, it's an American film uh, and it's a, it's a good old American film. You know, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, about uh, the struggles the country is going through, uh, but also people are going through, but in a very American format, you know? Uh, so, I just, there's certain iconography and imagery that I want to use in this film. And, uh, uh, you know, we're raising uh, uh, funds for it right now and we should be done uh, hopefully soon is always the goal in, in raising funds. But, but yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a big project uh, in many ways where uh, we have a, a good short list of talent and uh, it's a very ambitious execution as well for what the kind of film it is. And uh, I'm very excited about it because, you know, uh, you know I, I read a quote by some, some painter in the 1800s says, an artist's career always starts on the next project, you know? So, <laughs> so that's kind of how I see it. It's like Liner Descent was great. And, uh, and this, is a, this is the start of the career. And then after this, the next will be the start of the career. So that's how I see it. So that natural energy and motivation comes from, you know, such a line of thinking, yes. No, amazing. I love that. And I love as well. That it's a great way to wrap up. So I think, Robert, I want to thank you for your time. I have thank you so much. plenty of interview, plenty of things to continue in another interview. And I really want, I want to do one about the future of film, if it's okay for you. I'll let this for our audience. We'll start with this one and we'll go for the next one. Thank you so much, Robert. It's been a, a fantastic was... pleasure. And uh, congratulations for your work, because I know that is not easy to what you achieved. And I think uh, definitely we're going to hear a lot about you and hopefully we're going to be doing one with the next film, but before that, uh, one about the future of film. Thank you. Oh, you're so kind. Thank you so much. I enjoyed every second of it. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you.